Hi, thank you for joining us again for the next podcast in our AADC Insights Rare Talk series. My name is Dr. Stephen Smith, and in this series of podcasts, I've been incredibly lucky to be joined by some of the leading experts in AADC deficiency and other rare neurotransmitter-related diseases. This podcast is no different, so I'm very fortunate to be joined by Yuji Oka. Before we begin, a quick reminder that this podcast is funded and produced by PTC Therapeutics Limited, and the content of this podcast is based on the speaker's expert opinion and professional experience. Some content discussed in the podcast might be specific to the country the speaker practices in and may vary internationally. This podcast is intended for a healthcare professional audience. Thank you for joining me, Yuji. Today, we're going to be discussing multimodal rehabilitation and how it can help children with AADC deficiency and other neurotransmitter-related disorders. Before we begin, though, perhaps you could quickly tell us a bit about yourself, your background, what Spiral Practice is and the Spiral Movement Centre. Yes. uh, First of all, thank you so much for inviting me on your show, um, Stephen. My work deals with somatic intervention. And basically, in this type of intervention, you're dealing with the child's uh, internal sort of experience while they're learning. Uh, And this is very, very important, especially for kids with AADC, because uh, kids with AADC are fundamentally, in a way, typical children. They're they're missing something. They have an absence, uh, but it's not a disability situation. In my work, I've worked with a lot of kids uh, from all sorts of different backgrounds in special needs, autism, developmental delays, um, as well as in disability with cerebral palsy and uh, genetic syndromes like AADC. And so my fundamental interest here is always to look at the child not as a condition, uh, but rather as a person who is going through a learning process that uh, is uh, very unique in the way that they have to apprehend things. And this is primarily what I want to do. I want to have the child understand what they're doing when they're in the process of rehabilitation. So it sounds like a fascinating approach that you take at your centre. When we think about multimodal rehabilitation, what are the different elements that sort of make up a programme for children with rare diseases like AADC deficiency? Well, the important thing to realise, especially with kids with the AADC, because um, fundamentally, and I'm going to be saying this through the whole podcast, uh, parents, caregivers, professionals have to understand that these children are pretty typical in the sense of what they have. They're missing the neurotransmitter, but uh, everything else is on track. And so the learning process is a very holistic process for them. So even though our primary focus, uh, in my case, for example, I'm usually brought in to work with physical rehabilitation to get them to uh, walk and crawl, crawl and to roll. What I find is the cognitive aspect and the social aspects are very, very equally important, almost more important because these children, again, are very capable. And if you can leverage into these sort of more peripheral kinds of uh, aspects of their learning process, the cognitive, the emotional, the social, you can really get a lot out of these kids. And, you know, one of the big differences that differentiates them uh, from typically uh, disabled children is that there can be a lot of rapid, dramatic progress. And this is something that's very, very uh, interesting, exciting to see uh, for a therapist uh, in the field like I am. Yeah, it's a really refreshing way to think about it around looking at the, the similarities in their development to other children and not just looking at the sort of the differences all the time. 
And you mentioned there that they can go through sort of rapid developments compared to other children with other conditions. So for children with AADC deficiency, how does the rehabilitation experience differ compared to children with cerebral palsy? How does it differ to children with those other more common neurological conditions? When you are dealing with a child with AADC, there's a deficiency of a particular chemical, but all the other structures and, and sort of processes in the body, uh, I think, as far as we know, are intact. And uh, whereas inside of a situation with CP, there are um, lesions in the brain. We know that there are lesions and so the child is um, already struggling against something that is almost structural, This, in their case neurological. In some children that I have there are deformities of the joints and a host of other things that are part of the child's sort of condition. Uh, in AADC on the other hand, the condition is not once those neurotransmitters are, are present, the children just have a unique learning uh, situation. They're almost like they have a lot of experience in life, and at the same time, they lack the foundational skills that you normally learn through a sensory motor activity, for example, that allows for these other skills to build. So they're almost a classic case in education rather than re-education. You have to understand that they're starting from scratch. And when you start them from scratch and let them understand how to move their body, how to initiate their body, how to become aware of their bodies, they can catch on quite quickly because they have the, the mind to be able to process it, but they simply haven't had the experience. And so you mentioned there that they're just lacking in those experiences and fundamentally, structurally everything is in place. What rehabilitation outcomes could we expect then from a child of AADC deficiency? What's interesting for me is that with a lot of the parents that I meet, probably met with about uh, somewhere around a dozen or maybe more, and in a lot of the cases I'm surprised to find that the children have plateaued out in their progress, which should never be the case. And I think this is one of the reasons why this happens is that the parents get in, involved in a situation where the child is almost like an infant the whole time. He, he needs to be bathed, fed, held, uh, everything has to be done. And so there's this natural understanding or you know this conclusion that the child is not capable and they have to be uh, babied through everything. And I think this is the biggest mistake. These kids can progress quite quickly. Uh, to give you an example, uh, one child, for example, came to my studio in Toronto. Over the course of two weeks, uh, he could not even stand. So anytime he would try to stand up, his legs would kind of flop uh, and he wouldn't be able to hold himself. Uh, by the end of the two weeks, he was able to already uh, be in a situation of assisted walking, meaning that I'm holding his hands uh, and he's moving his feet. And in fact, some of the collapses in his arches had even resolved itself during that time. So the result is almost uh, faster than any group of uh, children with disabilities that I have met. And this is a very, very exciting thing. I'm assuming a large part of success in this is successfully engaging the sort of the family or the carers as part of the process. So how can the, the child's family or their carers sort of help with this process? So one of the things that's very important is to for families to become, first of all, educated. Uh, you know, this is a new treatment, uh, new types of treatments and also new types of therapy that have to be involved. And so um, one of the things that uh, we have to do is to decrease the level of anxiety with parents and caregivers and let them know that you know, despite the appearances, and children will present initially in AADC as if they cannot do anything, that you have to see through that and sort of persevere through that and encourage the child actually to go through a vigorous therapeutic process. 
That doesn't mean that you exhaust them or you push them or anything like this. But what it does mean is that you, your expectations are more positive. You, you know, that they can actually come out of this in, a, in an amazing way. But they need to have that education process because there's such high level anxiety and fear. In your role, do you engage regularly with the wider MDT, such as like the neurologist they're seeing or a paediatrician, etc.? Do you regularly engage with them and share information with them? Yes, I do. And, and I love that process. You know, uh, I feel that the best way that any treatment intervention takes place uh, is when you have teams of people who have a common cause. They, they want to deal with the child's needs uh, and they are sharing information to let um, each other know what is important to know. Uh, and so, yes, I do very much. And I, I've always found that uh, when there is that kind of transparency and collaboration, that great things can happen. It's a win-win for everyone because uh, it puts less stress on a lot of the people who don't necessarily see the children day in and day out, but provide a major, major uh, impetus force for the child. And then the, the, the people who are with the child day in, day out, they also feel empowered because uh, they no longer feel that they are, um, you know, sort of a, an observer. Obviously, you have a lot of experience in this place and have worked with a number of children with AADC deficiency. Do you think more broadly, healthcare professionals looking after children with conditions like AADC deficiency and other rare sort of neurometabolic conditions appreciate the value that the sort of rehabilitation and the approach that you take can bring to children? Yes, yes. Uh, you know, I think that, uh, you know, now especially in the last decade or so. You know, in the last decade or so, I've done uh, conferences in which the medical field meets with alternative health practitioners like myself. Um, I find that to be very, very refreshing. And uh, here we are talking, you know, and uh, I feel like, again, this situation has come about from a mutual uh, a situation in which um, there's recognition on both sides of the value of each particular discipline. And I think this is the essence of an MDT uh, a, plan is that this multidisciplinary approach is basically saying, you know, what are the different gaps? What are the different challenges that a child has? And, um, you know, we can't solve it from just one angle. We have to come about it uh, from different angles. And having an MDT program uh, in place really allows that situation to happen. And I've seen so many parents who, uh, when they embrace uh, the input, uh, again, without feeling that they're being sort of dispossessed from the situation, but uh, again, everyone's focused on child and their uh, their actual you know life situations. Um, then that's when the MDT really starts to shine, and you have a situation where a child is just basically learning constantly. Absolutely, and it's clear that there's a real benefit from having someone like yourself be a part of the MDT for the children. Do you think you could provide sort of a sort of a brief overview and explanation of some of the sort of somatic interventions uh, that you provide to children with AADC. Yes. Uh, let me give you two examples. One is in the treatment of potential uh, scoliosis. Uh, because uh, our children in AADC often have um, low tone at the very beginning, there's always a danger for scoliosis to present itself. Now, scoliosis, it's not the typical type of scoliosis that, that you normally see um, because uh, very often, in the early stages anyways, it's very preventable. But what's happening here is that the spine is not being activated in some children, and it has to be. Um, there has to be weight-bearing for the spine to start to become active. And this has been uh, one of the things that I think is very, very 
prevalent uh, in the early stages of AADC to prevent that. So um, what we do in those cases is we work with um, suspensions. The child is not able to support their weight, but they can be suspended, partially suspended. That means that we might um, lift their legs up so the hips uh, lift off, off the floor, or we lift their arms so the shoulders are off the floor, or we lift both of them off the floor. And we do different types of manipulations to let to activate those situations so that we don't let the joints uh, become too understimulated so, so that there's proper bone growth. And again, that we prevent any kind of uh, strange uh, contracture to develop in the bones like in the spine so that there's scoliosis avoided. So that's one uh, of the things. Um, another thing that I think is uh, very important in the early stages is again to maintain a vigorous physical viewpoint with these children to not think of them as uh, fragile dolls you know that you have to carry around but to already right from the beginning even when they're experiencing uh, you know they're, they're, there's not much movement to keep them moving and active and uh, talking to them in an age-appropriate way I can't stress how much this is important uh, what I often see, as I said, is that children later who have not had that stimulation tend to exhibit autistic-like characteristics. And I think that's because the children have not had enough stimulation and they've been drawn inwards. And you have to immediately understand that the children are having normal cognitive development in most cases. And you have to talk to them even though if they're not talking back. You have to move them even though they may not be moving. You want to basically let them know, hey, listen, um, I see you, I hear you, and I'm going to demand of you the, the things that other children will do, obviously adjusted to their ability, but I'm not giving up on that. And I think these are um, some major early things that are really, really necessary for a child to have a really good outcome later in their uh, life. It feels like you obviously there's a very child-centric and tailored approach to the interventions and the care that you provide. Would you say there's a typical approach for children with like a neurotransmitter-related disorder or AADC deficiency specifically, or is it entirely sort of unique for the child in front of you? If a person is very, very in touch with the idea of a developmental education, uh, and they are aware of the developmental steps in which a child uh, makes those first steps, in their movement, um, then I think that the process is actually very, very universal. They're following, you know, with a slower pace at first, those steps, and they're rediscovering those steps. But I think the real issue where mistakes can be made, uh, sometimes, for example, in, uh, I had a boy from Hong Kong, and uh, when I met with him, he had plateaued out. And again, plateauing out in the situation is a sign that something is not right. And sometimes, unfortunately, it can be due to the approach of the physical therapist. And in this case, the child was experiencing almost trauma. He did not want to do anything. And I think it was because he was being rushed along too quickly to try functional things, you know, trying to have him crawl, for example, or having tried to stand without him having the proper basis to do that. If he doesn't know how to use his body or if he's experiencing pain, um, you can't be put into those situations too quickly. Otherwise, the whole learning process kind of gets thwarted. So you know, I've seen that happen quite a bit. And in this boy, uh, he had been several years where he wasn't exhibiting any movement. 
Uh, he wasn't able to lift his head. He wasn't able to uh, weight bear on his arms. Uh, the only thing that he had been doing was putting on gaiters and in standards, but really not where he was engaged. So when we got him uh, properly on a path where he was engaging himself, he actually was able to stand quite quickly. But we had to get through quite a bit of negative behavior to get there. And I think that was due to uh, sometimes, again, uh, with AADC children, the danger sometimes is, is that we treat them on a level of rehabilitation and also maybe a little bit lower cognitively than they want to be treated. And that can uh, create a situation where um, uh, therapy can be actually um, a, a negative experience for them. Yeah, some really interesting insights there around treating children with AADC appropriately aligned to their sort of cognitive development and their sort of specific needs. It's, yeah, fascinating. Just to close up today's podcast, for those people listening who perhaps are sort of newer to this, don't have your level of experience, what's one sort of key takeaway message that you would give them for thinking about how they treat their children with AADC deficiency and other sort of related conditions really from like a sort of rehab educational perspective yes uh, you know right now i'm in leicester leicester in uh, the uk and i'm working with a, 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 another a girl with um, a genetic condition uh, and it's the same situation that i found with children with aadc is that this child um, is capable of learning there's like those issues that seem to be contractures but she needed it actually just to be relaxed there was some pain involved those needed to be recognized and what I think um, with genetic conditions in general, uh, there has to be this feeling again that the presentation of the child is not necessarily where the child is at. And I do think that when you can find that age appropriate um, approach where you're dealing with what the child can actually do to not look at their condition uh, from a negative sense in terms of what they cannot do, but to look at the things that they might be able to do and focus on that. One of the things that I think is very helpful is to look at videos of children who, at the age that your child's at and see what their age appropriate behavior might be. If the parent has never had a child, a typical child, they may not know where a child is supposed to be. And, that's, and very often I think parents are surprised uh, to see what a child should be and even doubly surprised when they actually start to talk or behave that way towards the child, that the children are actually responding in that way. They're not doing it through words, but in their look in their eyes and the way they respond with their bodies, they actually realize, oh, my child is just like that. So I think uh, things like that, just getting some education about uh, what the developmental levels are to looking you know, on the internet, there's all sorts of uh, YouTube videos that will tell you milestones that you can look out for. Uh, that's one thing. And the second thing I think is, again, this thing of education and then disseminating that amongst the different circles. So there's the immediate family, even within the family, there might be a great deal of misunderstanding about the child's uh, uh, situation and needs. Uh, so there has to be a lot of information that's uh, given there that helps everyone lose that anxiety and feel like, okay, listen, we're in for a very, very rough path, especially at first, but we're going to have a very, very dramatic outcome in the end if, we're, if we just uh, move along and, and do what we need to do. And to keep widening that education along so that schools, caregivers, and then, uh, and then medical professionals as well, they have a very amazing understanding of the uh, situation that happens in the hospitals. Um, but I think that when they learn what happens inside of the homes and stuff, uh, it's also something that 
you know, everything becomes more more meaningful. So I think that those two things of really understanding where the child's coming from and uh, increasing the level of education amongst everyone who's working is the best way to start the path down this uh, ADC journey. Amazing. Yeah, some really powerful messages there, I think, around thinking about what the child is going through and looking at them through a positive lens and seeing what they're capable of. Well, that certainly was an interesting and informative chat for me. I've learned a lot about the benefits of uh, multimodal rehabilitation and really taken a fresh look at the educational opportunities that are facing children with AADC. I hope those of you listening at home found Yuji's insights helpful as well. That just leaves me to thank you for joining us today, Yuji. To remind everyone that if you'd like to know more about AADC deficiency and the topics we've discussed across these podcasts, check out aadcinsights.eu. If you've not listened to the other podcasts in the Red Talk series, go back and check out the conversation we've had with other experts in the field. Thanks again for listening. Don't forget to visit aadcinsights.eu for more information.